When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by lynda.com. lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash CLNS. Now on to your regularly scheduled program. Patriots Nation, and welcome to another edition of Patriots Beat here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bobby Kravitsky at Bobby underscore K91. You can, of course, find Bobby not only on CLNS, but also writing for Bleacher Report now. Congratulations, Bobby. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And I've actually got an article coming out fairly soon about the Patriots and positions and players they might be targeting in the upcoming draft. Yeah, we'll find out what happens. And we have a great guest for you tonight, and that guest is Mike Reese of ESPN Boston and ESPNBoston.com. We'll be sure to talk to Mike about not only the NFL draft, but the way that the Patriots are constructing their roster uh, this off season as they go from Super Bowl 49 champs to just another 0-0 zero and zero team when the uh, games kick off on September 10th, that uh, day that they raise championship banner number four. Remember, you can always listen to the Patriots Beat podcast every single week as Bobby and I kick things off. If you're looking for a place to find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. And of course, see you on this radio www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Don't forget our partners in crime on this podcast and also all across CLNS radio. And that, of course, is lynda.com. Get out and learn something today. www.lynda.com. And for your free 10-day trial, www.lynda.com slash CLNS. And, of course, we talked about beer last week from Peak Brewing. Check them out peakbrewing.com. Get out and taste a little bit of New England. Oh, phenomenal beer. I tell you, last week when I was talking to Jim Cadu, I was actually having a one of his nut browns, uh, and we had a good laugh about that. Um, great beer. Uh, phenomenal stuff out there. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, Peak Brew produces high-quality beers. I highly recommend 
going out and sampling some of their many flavors. You should sample. You should definitely sample. <laughs> yeah, you got to find your own. You got to mix and match and find which ones you prefer best. Yeah, I prefer them all. <laughs> the As do NFL. I, Jeff. <laughs> I, I I know you did tell me one time. Aren't you a Jack and Coke type of guy? Am I that's wrong? That's my vice. That's my go-to. But uh, I, I, no, I you nailed. That's my vice. But nothing wrong with a couple peak brews every now and then. Nothing at all. NFL draft, Bobby. Less than uh, two weeks away. Um, I'm getting excited. I, I really am getting excited about the NFL draft. Of course, we had Mike Loiko on a couple weeks ago talking about the NFL draft. And my binky's still Eddie Goldman. Um, I just, I, I love the guy. I think he could be there at 32. If he, if it, there's a run on defense, I could see the Patriots moving up to select him, uh, you know, in the early 20s. Uh, they have the 32nd pick in the draft. The last time they had the 32nd pick in the draft uh, was after the 2004 Super Bowl win. They stayed pat and selected uh, Logan Mankins in 2005. Uh, they moved around a little bit. And I, I look back at after that first Super Bowl when they did have the 32nd pick, Houston ha- uh, came into the league. They had the number one pick. So that was the first time that a Super Bowl champion had picked number 32, and the Patriots moved up into the 21 slot to select tight end Dan Graham. Uh, I find that could work out really nice. Move up a little bit. Listen, you got nine draft picks. You don't have nine spots to play these guys. Of those nine draft picks, uh, six or six. seven of them are six of them are tradable. You knew where I was going. So they have plenty of draft capital to move up and down and all around that board. Uh, your thoughts as we get closer to the NFL draft. I'm with you, Jeff. What I love about this event is the unpredictability of it. You do not know what's going to happen until it happens. You know, if you want to say that Twitter will tell you a minute or two in advance, fine. But really, leading up to the picks happening, leading up to draft day, you do not know what's going to happen. That's what I love about the NFL draft. And like you said, the Patriots, they've got six picks in the first four rounds. They've got nine picks overall and not nine slots to fill. So I'm very curious to see if and when they make a trade. They're going to. We all know that they are going to make a trade. It's just, you know, if you're the New England Patriots, you're coming off a Super Bowl championship. We already talked about it. There's nine draft picks out there. There's not nine spots on this roster. Um, you know, it'll basically be kind of like last year where, you were cutting guys that were ending up on other teams. So, you know what? If I'm the Patriots, I'm moving around. I'm getting, I'm moving my draft capital. I'm trying to get up a little bit in the first round, maybe a little bit in different rounds, move up a little bit in the second, move a little up. If you see a guy in there that you don't think will be there when you draft towards the end of each round uh, until the third round when they have, um, you know, the 32nd overall pick in the third round, and then they have that compensatory draft pick. Uh, the highest one possible for Akeeb to leave. And then they turn right around and have Tampa Bay Buccaneers' uh, fourth-round draft pick, which is the first overall. Of course, that was in the trade uh, of Logan Mankins to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, for uh, the fourth-round draft pick and Tim Wright. Uh, It'll be exciting to see what they do. Bobby, we talked a little bit off the air uh, about some different players that we'd like to see the Patriots uh, going out and getting, and you brought up an interesting name, and I'll let you introduce it to the audience, and, and, and then you'll 
hear what I have to say. Well, there's a growing voice inside that would love it if, if, if Melvin Gordon was available when the Patriots were thinking if they would select him. I think they can certainly make do with the collection of running backs they have now, including the addition of Travaris Cadet. But I'm not overly confident in this group. We know how important the running back position still is, especially in the playoffs. So bringing in a back like Melvin Gordon, especially to help Tom Brady, who as much as we all want to deny it or point to last season's success, the fact remains he's getting up there in age. So if you can make it so you're not having to rely on 50-plus throws a game, always a better option. Always a better option. I love running the football. Melvin Gordon, Wisconsin running back, a just dynamic player. And you know what makes me happy about that selection? You team him back up with his buddy James White. That's right. And you have the ultimate, the ultimate backfield. You got LeGarrette Blount to, to pound it, even though he liked that cigarette a little much and uh, is, of course, uh, uh, suspended for the first game of the season. You have Tyler Gaffney. We don't know what's going to happen with Tyler Gaffney uh, coming back off of the knee injury. Uh, you have Jonas Gray, who, you know, played decent. You know, he had that unbelievable game against the Indianapolis Colts where he ran for 201 yards, scored four touchdowns. He's on the cover of SI, then he oversleeps, and it's hardly seen of sense. I know, you know, Jonas Gray, in a lot of eyes of a lot of Patriots fans, should have got more touches and, and, and was the next big thing. But here's the thing that I got to say is Jonas Gray did all that against the Indianapolis Colts, who couldn't stop me from gaining 100 yards. Yeah, LeGarrette ran over them. Jonas Gray ran over them and then forgot to charge his cell phone. And that was a huge no-no because really his snaps suffered dramatically as a result. And so we don't really know what we have in Jonas Gray. Was it a fluke against the team that couldn't stop the run? Or is he actually the real deal? It's a small sample size when you look at the whole body of work, not just that game. So still, you know, an unknown at large. Jeff, one of the things I'm also interested in seeing is what philosophical changes are made to this team. For example, Kevin Johnson is a cornerback who would thrive on a zone defense. Do they go with him or do they go with Marcus Peters, which could potentially you know, suggest staying in that man-to-man aggressive coverages? Might they go with neither one of them and wait on a cornerback or even go with Byron Jones? who wowed everyone with his athletic prowess at the Combine. Also, for example, on the defensive line, do they go with an Eddie Goldman type? You know, do they, oh, yeah, please, please, right? please. Do they want a, they want a <laughs> big-bodied guy similar to Big Vince Wilfork or someone who can shoot the gaps? It's going to be very interesting to see what decisions the Patriots make. going to be huge to see what the Patriots make because right now they, they kind of have a blank slate on that defense. Darrell Revis was able to allow the Patriots to play that cover one defense. They also played a lot of cover three last year uh, zone when we saw it, uh, but it allowed them to go man up uh, with a single safety high and, and bring Patrick Chung down into the box and allow a guy like Brandon Browner to play very physical on, on his, uh, his receiver. 
they they don't have that right now. Not saying that they can't get there, but they don't have. I mean, it's honestly extremely hard. There's only so many Darrell Revises out there in the world, and the Patrick Petersons in the world, and the Richard Shermans of the world. There's only so many of those guys out there. So you could see a uh, philosophy change, and I think you're starting to see that in what the New England Patriots have done in this off season. Um, of course, they let. Uh, Darrell Revis and Brandon Browner go. They they cut Browner, uh, or we really didn't cut him. They they refused to pick up either one of their options, which uh, you know gets them to be unrestricted free agents. And the one thing that I don't quite understand, uh, there's a lot of Patriots fans out there that are enamored with going after a a cornerback in the first round and and, and you know getting a, a great shutdown corner. We'll talk to Mike Reese about that a little more. Uh, what he thinks, and you brought up Brandon Jones. He's a workout warrior. He reminds me a little bit too much of what Mike Mamula did uh, out of Boston College in the 1994 draft. I want to say uh, he got selected by the Philadelphia Eagles. He was he wasn't even looked at as a first round draft pick, and then went into the combine and exploded and was p- picked eighth overall. So it's one of the things that I'm looking at. But the Patriots, you got to look at this team. You have Malcolm Butler who the more and more you read about him, the more and more you realize that all season long in practice, anytime he was put out there in games, he was in the right place at the right time. Uh, you have a guy going into his third year in Logan Ryan, who, yes, uh, he he's made some mistakes, but he's also made some interceptions, five in his first year in the league. And, and then, of course, uh, Alfonso Denard, uh, or Dennard, a great cornerback he was a number two cornerback on this team uh in his first two years fell out of favor a little bit last year I don't think that is as much to do with uh his ability as it is the fact that he's really not a special teams player and you had guys sitting in front of him named Revis and named Browner and there's not much place that you can put him and beyond where Dennard found himself on the depth chart this past season was also had to do with that shift to playing a lot of man coverage, playing a lot of cover three. He's more of a zone cornerback and not in the cover three sense, which employs a lot of man-to-man concepts. That's really not his style. So again, it's going to be interesting to see because Logan Ryan fits into a similar category of someone who thrives, as we saw his rookie season when he had five interceptions, as a zone corner more so than he does a man corner. So It's going to be interesting to see how they value the talent on the roster and what the pecking order becomes with those two, plus, like you said, Super Bowl hero Malcolm Butler. And also, Jeff, something to look out for in my eyes is Devin McCourty spent a lot of last season playing center field, primarily helping out Brandon Browner. Now, this season, because they don't have a Darrell Revis playing in that left cornerback spot, taking out team's number one options, I think you might see McCourty helping double team a team's number one receiver. I could see that. The other thing that I could see is the Patriots going back to uh, more of a two-deep uh, two safety look, uh, more of a cover-two zone, more of a cover-two man, uh, where you have a safety taking each side of the field. And if they're doing that, then you have a guy like Deb McCourty on one side, and I don't think you're going to see Patrick Chung as much. I think you'd see more of Jerron Harmon or uh, or Tavon Wilson being out there and, and being the other guy playing the second half of the field there, they both made plays. Wilson made some play, more plays in his rookie year until they uh, went out and signed 
uh, or traded for Aqib Tlaib and moved uh, Devin McCourty to safety full time. Wilson was actually making some plays his rookie year, made some plays as well last year. Uh, Deron Harmon, I, I really look at him, and I think he could be a very good safety in this league. Um, he made that great interception uh, against Joe Flacco to pretty much seal the deal um, back in uh, back in the AFC Divisional round. So I like Deron Harmon, I like uh, D-Mac, and I like them both uh, you know, splitting the field. Uh, that being said, you can also, you know, still play that man up cover one uh, safety look and bring Patrick Chung down into the box, uh, provided you have, uh, uh, you know, Fletcher step up and be a, the cornerback that he is able to be, and Malcolm Butler take that leap from Super Bowl hero into every down player. And we'll know for sure when the season rolls around, that's when the verdict will be in. But it certainly feels like to me that the Patrick Chung signing was a bit premature. I think, yeah, I think that Patrick Chung signing was a bit premature. Um, and you know what? When they made that signing, I looked at it. I'm like, all right, that's good for for the Darrell Revis uh, signing. That's what I thought. I thought, all right, they they got it all taken care of. Revis is going to be, uh, you know, re-signed because why else would you, you know, re-up uh, Patrick Chung? Granted, he is a he had a very good season last year, but he's not that he's not that uh, cornerback. Uh, sorry, safety that can that can really play sideline to sideline. He has his strengths, and his strengths are very good. Don't get me wrong; he's very good at playing the run. He's very good at, at stuffing in the box. He does a decent job uh, covering uh, you know backs out of the backfields and and tight ends. Not a great job, but a decent job. I just don't see him being that cover two corner, uh, cover two uh, safety. How can I keep saying corner when I'm trying to say safety? But uh, a cover two safety uh, that you're expecting. That's why I would expect a guy like uh, Daron Harmon or, uh, you know, Tevon Wilson to be right next to uh, Deb McCourty. You could also see McCourty drop down to cornerback as he did a little bit uh, more towards the end of last year. They had McCourty dropping down to cornerback and had Deron Harmon playing that, uh, you know, one-man deep safety. Yeah, I think we all know about the versatility of Devin McCourty. I also think that's the value of having that combination of Harmon, who is adequate against the run, but is primarily known for his abilities in pass coverage and being a smart safety, and then having Patrick Chung, who is more of that thumper, will play in the box against the run. And like you said, can do a solid job, you know, can hold his own against tight ends and running backs. So I think that that's where the value lies. And you discussed Tavon Wilson earlier. He's a player who flashed some bright spots last season, and it's going to be very interesting to see if a player like him, who's now had several years in the Patriots system and has all these physical tools, can put it together and make more of a stride this season. I think the big thing this season is going to be that pass rush uh, with Rob Ninkovich, Chandler Jones, um, you know, Dante Hightower. We saw what he was doing uh, before Gerard Mayo got hurt. Uh, and, and of course, Jabal Sheard. I think the Patriots are going to be doing some getting after that quarterback. And, and I'm expecting some good things out of Dominic Easley as well. The first round draft pick uh, last year out of Florida, of course, uh, ended up on the IR um, with a season-ending knee injury. Now, it was not 
uh, you know, anything major as far as surgery was needed or anything like that. I think that was probably the best thing that could happen to a man like Easley. Took the pressure off of him. You know, he was playing uh, playing a lot of defensive end uh, in that Ty Warren role. You know, that that stand up and hold the edge. That's really not how I see. Um, you know, uh, him him being played. I, I look at him more as a, you know, a one-gap defensive tackle. He was playing the five technique on that outside. So I look at him, and, I, and I'm and i expecting uh, a lot out of Dominic Easley this year. Um, you know, we'll ask Mike Reese about it. I'm sure he'll say the same thing that we all say, that, you know, uh, he's got to be able to stay on the field. Um, we see what how big it is for a player to stay on the field. Everyone last year was wondering if Rob Gronkowski could stay on the field. Well, he did. He got out there. He stayed on the field, and, and the Patriots were Super Bowl champions. I was impressed with Easley's versatility. Disappointed with the lack of explosion as a pass rusher. Jeff, he's one of the many players that I'm curious to get Mike Reese's take on. Well, why don't we go ahead and bring Mr. Reese in and talk to him a little bit about his takes on just about everything we can think of uh, in the time that we have Mike on the phone. Joining us on the line right now is a man that needs no introduction. He is ESPN Boston reporter for the Patriots, Mike Reese. Mike, it is great for you to join us today. Well, Jeff, Bobby, great to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Oh, we really appreciate it. Well, we have the uh, joy of getting to cover a Super Bowl champion again for the New England Patriots. Lots of roster turnover. Bill Belichick was voted uh, the best GM in football by Roto World. Can he repeat with all the guys who've been taken away from this team? That's a good question. It's uh, We know how tough it is to repeat as Super Bowl champions because the last team to do it was actually the Patriots back in 2004. I think one of the reasons it's so hard to do it is you, you, you get that condensed schedule. You know, you have one, one less month and you have guys like Dante Hightower, uh, Chandler Jones, Chris Jones, Silver Salinga, Sebastian Vollmer, Ryan Wendell, throw Gerard Mayo in there, uh, guys recovering from surgeries and, and needing to rehab. And, you know, it sort of condenses that schedule for them and then of course you know you you know you're going to get every team's best shot next year and some significant personnel turnover so I think that's an uphill climb for the Patriots but uh, I would say this if you don't like them in the AFC well who who are you going with and that's the one thing I think is uh you know is in their favor because I think there isn't another team that I look at and say decisively you know that team is definitely better than the Patriots. Couldn't agree more there. Mike, in your estimation, should the Patriots have upped their offer to Darrell Rivas? Well, you know, they could have gone more. I don't think it would have mattered, though. I think that whatever they went, the Jets were going to just keep going up. That That's my belief of it. And uh, really, I, I sort of came to that realization um, as the, as it was coming down the pike and and I, I guess I thought that the only way they would keep him in the end was if they – if they picked up that option, and I think if they did that, you probably would have had an unhappy Darrell Revis, and I'm not sure anyone wins in that scenario. I think in the end, it was a situation where it was uh, a one-year deal, and he was going to go to the highest bidder, and the way it was set up with the Jets having all that cap space and having you know to spend the money, to get up or, you know, to put themselves in position to meet the requirements over a four-year snapshot, this being year three. 
I think that there were a lot of factors working against the Patriots who had actually used some of their cap space in 2015 to account for Revis in 2014. So that was a tough spot for them to be in. So you ask, you ask, you know, should they have upped the offer? You could certainly say they could have. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it would have mattered because I think whatever they offered, the Jets were just going to keep going up. And I'm also curious if you or anyone else in the media has talked to anyone in the front office about why they chose not to trade for Revis's contract with Tampa Bay, which had zero guaranteed money on it and would have allowed New England to operate on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I hadn't talked to anyone about that. I don't know if they would have done it um, based on the cap charges. That that would probably, you know, if I if I had to sort of guess as to why they wouldn't do it. So you're basically taking on cap charges of $16 million each year if that's if I'm understanding the contract the right way and if you look at what the cap charge was for him last year I think it was like seven million you know for the Patriots so I think it was probably a, a case where they didn't want to take on a 16 million dollar cap charge last year um, but again that's just me sort of using my sort of head in terms of the way things generally work in terms of contracts and that would be my my sense of where that is. Plus, having to give up an asset to get them and take on that cap charge. Mike, one of the things you've alluded to uh, in your great blog on ESPNBoston.com is the fact that the defense is a changing. Uh, no more of the uh, you know cover one man on man defense. We might see a little more zone. We're not sure exactly what we're going to see. What we're going to get out of a second year of Malcolm Butler. But it certainly sees, seems like the New England Patriots are trying to get better up front. They brought in Jabal Sheard. They tried to bring in Rolando McClain. My question who happens to stand around uh, second-year player Dominic Easley. The explosion that he showed in Florida before the knee injury really was that type of defensive tackle that could get upfield. What can we expect going into year two for uh, such a player like this? Well, Jeff, I just say it starts with the health. You know, I mean, it's not going to be – uh, not going to work out the way anyone hopes if if it's the same situation health-wise for him in 2015 as it was 2014. And all signs look encouraging at this point, but one thing I've learned over the years is, you know, once the pads come on, that's really when you, you, you find out how things really respond to things. So let's wait and see on that. You know, if he makes the jump that they hope he will, uh, probably a fair comparison is to look at what Jamie Collins did this past year you know, went from a 25% playtime guy as a rookie, which was just about what Easley was this last year, to about 87%. And he was a difference maker out on the field on a consistent basis for the Patriots. And I think if Easley's healthy, uh, that's what they hope he'll be. I think the question that, that I would have, just based on watching him last year, is the, si- the size and is he big enough to win in those tight areas um, in the interior pass rusher, I actually thought he was a little bit more effective when he played on the end of the line and had a little bit, a little bit more space and set a pretty hard edge in the running game and and was pretty competitive in that role when he had to fill in for Chandler Jones. So, my my thought is, you know, in, when when they drafted him, the whole idea was the interior pass rush, and that's really what I think they're hoping for to to, to get from him. But I think he still needs to show that because we didn't see much of that last year. Easily will have a lot, a lot of eyes on him this coming season. Looking at the draft now, New England has nine picks, including six in the first four rounds. Do you see them trading up 
perhaps even as early as the first round? Well, they did it twice in 2012, so I don't think we can rule it out, right, uh, for Chama Jones and Dante Hightower. So what I would focus on is less, you know, whether they will or they won't and, and more look at, okay, if they do it, well, how high up can they really go? And when you're sitting at 32, I think we know based on their history, they're not going to trade any future assets like a 2006 first-round pick to put themselves up in the top 10 or the top 15, which is what it would take at least what it would take to get up there. So if they move up, they're really only going to probably be able to move up to the mid-20s at most with what they realistically give up based on their history. So based on that, my, my, my sense would be probably unlikely unless there's a player that slides down the board that they feel like, whoa, that's a top-10 player that all of a sudden is available at 25. Maybe now it's worth it for us to make that slight jump up the board. And anyone that tells you, at this point, oh, they're definitely moving up or, ah, they're definitely moving down. Uh, don't buy it, you know, because they, the Patriots don't even know that right now. What they're doing is going through the process of understanding every player in the draft, where the value in the draft is, and then they'll explore both moving up and moving back, and they will react the day of the draft based on what unfolds that day. They might have it in their mind at that point, hey, if the right opportunity comes up, we're moving up, like they did in 12 when they went up for Chandler Jones, Dante Hightower. So they might have that in their mind, but it's never sort of predetermined this far in advance of the draft. Mike, we look at the Patriots as a team. They've lost some players, as we said, to start off the podcast but they've also got a great core of young nucleus uh, intact. You mentioned Jamie Collins, of course, Dante Hightower. Um, we mentioned Dominic Easley. The one place that I'm looking at and I'm seeing a hole right now is that left guard position without Dan Connolly signed. They've had Stefan Wisniewski in for uh, a visit. He's been able to play uh, center and guard in his time in the NFL. What can the Patriots do to shore up that left guard position? Because, once they had that shored up, that's when things really took off for the Patriots last season. Yeah, well, a couple things. They have a couple options. Uh, you know, uh, one is to re-sign Connolly. He's still available, and I think that's still a possibility for them. And if you re-sign him, you slide him into that number one spot at this point and say, we could play a game right now and feel pretty good about what we have. Uh, option number two, Josh Klein, next man up. Not sure how you feel about that. Was a little bit up, was a little bit down last year, maybe a little bit more on the downside, but they still won games with him when they had to put him in there. I guess the question would be, could you, could you win consistently if he was your top-rated guy? And my sense at this point would be they're probably leaning toward no on that question. So then option number three is see if you can find the next Logan Mankins. That was the last time, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, that they were picking number 32 in the draft. 2005 and what did they do at number 32 the the board in front of them was decimated from a defensive standpoint they probably weren't planning on picking a guard at that point but they said that's a guy that if we draft him we could probably plug him in on day one and as a starter and get pretty good mileage out of him and I think we could probably all agree that was a pretty solid pick that year so who are some guys that might fit Maybe, uh, you know, a, a tackle out of Oregon, this Fisher kid who has a borderline first-round first prospect. Maybe you draft him at 32, he's your opening day starter. So I think those are maybe three options 
just to look at, maybe not even him specifically, but just that idea of a player that, you know, like a Mankins could potentially come in and, uh, and fill that role. Mike, as you continue scouting process, prospects, excuse me, are there any players who you have become infatuated with who you'd like to see just personally New England select? Well, so I, I think this, this, the idea of this topic on the you know, offensive line is one that probably stands out to me more than any other because I do agree that that's an area that even if they do bring um, Dan Connolly back, I think they're, they're still going to go hard at that area because of the idea of bringing in some young, high upside talent. And um, so I, I, we, Bill Belichick has double-dipped at times in the draft with you know, multiple receivers in 2013, multiple tight ends in 2010, and uh, that's the one area that I'm looking at. And this Jake Fisher out of Oregon, the more I look at him, he's sort of a tackle. So you might look at him and say, oh, why would they go with a tackle? And the thought being that, well, you know what, he could play left guard for a year, give you some insurance. If you can't re-sign Nate Solder, who enters the last year of his contract, the left tackle. So a guy like that, and then come back a little later in the draft and maybe draft another interior lineman like a Mitch Morse out of Missouri. I think, to me, the idea of this being a meat and potatoes type draft is sort of where I'm leaning right now. Like, it might not be sexy. You might not have, you know, the dynamic skill position players, but if you add a couple of sort of big guys up front on both sides of the ball, that, that, that's sort of where I'm trending right now. Mike, you uh, segued me right into my next question with Nate Soldier going into his fifth-year option. The Patriots have done a nice job uh, in layering themselves with uh, tackles. Of course, Sebastian Vollmer's deal lasts a couple more years. They re-upped uh, Marcus Cannon, and of course they drafted Fleming out of Stanford last year. Uh, do you see a holdup with bringing Nate Soldier and, and signing him to a longer-term deal? Do you think it's a wait-and-see approach for the Patriots, or is it just uh, they're going to take their time and see what they have? Well, I think they know what they have, and it's a player that they'd like to be part of their long-term future. So the question then becomes, you know, can we reach a compromise, something that works? And And that would be the only reason to me that it would hold it up. I don't think it's a question of, like, we don't believe in Nate Solder. I think they love Nate Solder, everything he stands for on the field and off the field. And he struggled a little bit early last year. <clears throat> People were getting on him, and, and, and in some cases, rightfully so. I think part of that, as you alluded to earlier, was some of the changes around him. They were rotating guys on the line, trying to find the best combination. They, a lot of they traded Mankins, and that certainly had a trickle-down effect on him from my viewpoint. So... You know, just uh, that my thought would be, you know, his agent is is uh, Wes Welker's old agent, and there were previously some hard feelings there. I think maybe those have subsided as a team, and, and that agent, David Dunn, have negotiated a deal since that time with tight end Scott Chandler, and it's just a matter of if, you know, what they're looking for and if they're willing to deal and if the Patriots feel like the numbers are right. It's going to be expensive, I'll tell you that. You know, young franchise left tackle, I mean, that, that, that's a big money deal. So I think it's just a matter to me of if the sides can agree on that and if the Patriots are willing to go to those levels. And Solder's side, if they go in a year early, as it would be right now if they made the deal, if they maybe were willing to uh, concede a little bit on the total, total dollars to get some upfront money right now. Mike, with Gerard Mayo coming back, which is going to be very important to a Patriots defense that is hoping – he and Hightower 
don't miss too much, if any time, to start the regular season. Do you think New England, when last year when Mayo went down, they went to a lot of sub-defense, which of course also had to do with opponents. Now with Mayo, they at least figure to play more 4-3 than they did post the injury. Do you think New England was more effective, however, in that sub-defense, or do you think that simply had to do with injuries and the Darrell Revis effect? I think I think the sub defense in part was was as much about who they were playing and the way those offenses sort of attacked them. They they ran through that stretch in the middle of last season where they were playing really pass first teams, you know, teams that maybe were more apt to put three receivers on the field than, you know, multiple tight ends. So I think there was one amazing stat where, you know, over a six game stretch they were in base defense for about a total of 40 snaps, and I think that was from the game against the Bears on October 26th through Denver, through Indianapolis, Detroit, Green Bay, and then San Diego. So it was a six-game stretch, and I think they played about 40 snaps of base defense. And so, so much of what they do on defense is sort of specific to what the offense gives them. So if you're going to play the, the Bills as an example, you know, if Rex Ryan's going to go ground and pound, you're not going to be in your sub-defense as much with that team. So I think it's probably more specific to what the opponents were showing them and how they were reacting to anything specific to the Patriots saying, hey, we're going to play sub-defense regardless, you know, of what you put out on the field. Final question here, Mike, from us. Uh, your website has done a phenomenal job. It's one of my favorite things to read is beyond the first round where you get into the second round, middle rounds for each position to see what the Patriots uh, could go ahead and draft. But let's stay in the first round. You have your druthers. Who do you see the Patriots going out and selecting in the first round, whether it be at 32 or a move up? So, uh, so just a couple things on this. You know, always hard to know what's going to be there because we don't, you know, know, know the first 31 picks. So a couple names I'll just throw out there or concepts that I think the team is sort of would be talking about at this time. Um, you know, big, big defensive tackle. The idea of, you know, you lost Vince Wilfork to Houston. You have Silver Salinga, Allen Branch. Can you get a young guy? similar to the way you did it with Vince Wilfork in 2004 that's powerful, athletic, can two-gap, be a big presence on the interior of that defense. So someone like Florida State's Eddie Goldman catches my eye, but, you know, we could be watching on draft night and it could be the 20th pick and he might be gone and you might be saying, well, well why are you talking about a guy when, when he wasn't there? I think that's the challenge of, of this discussion. But the concept of if the right big you know, defensive tackle is there at 32. I think that could work for them. I think we talked a little bit about the interior offensive line and maybe that, you know, a guard, but maybe that player is a tackle like Logan Mankins was at Fresno State coming out in 2005, and maybe he plays guard for a year, and then he's your insurance at tackle if you don't have solder back. So I like that sort of concept for them. Um, some people say corner. I get it just based on all the changes that they've had, but the more I look at the corner class outside of maybe one guy, you know, like this Marcus Peters kid from Washington who comes with some off-field questions, I'm not sure anyone they draft at 32 is a plug-and-play guy there. So I'm not sure that gets you better in the short term, and maybe you can get a guy a little bit later that 
maybe is not that far off from that and can help you down the road as well. So I, I'm I'm meeting potatoes right now as I look at this. Maybe an off the line linebacker um, to to pair with Mayo, Hightower, Collins. As we know, Hightower and Mayo are both coming off injuries. So those are sort of my thoughts in, in terms of trying to understand the way the positions are sort of stacked, where some of the depth of the draft is. Would I be shocked if it's receiver? Not shocked just because that's one of the best positions in this draft. But I don't think that's really what they – I don't think that will really help them as much in the short term as those other areas I mentioned. Mike, as always, thank you very much for your time here on CLS Radio's Patriots Beat. I'll see you at uh, camp this summer. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. Our guest, Mike Reese of ESPN Boston and ESPNBoston.com. We're bought, brought to you tonight by our partners in crime, our friends over at Lynda.com. Get out and challenge yourself today. For your free 10-day trial, go to www.Lynda. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash C-L-N-S. Get out and challenge yourself today. And, of course, our good friends over at Peak Brewing, I love their nut brown ale. I've mentioned it many times on this podcast. And, of course, when we were talking uh, last week with the owner and founder of Peak Brewing, and that, of course, was John Cardew. Uh Good stuff there by Peak Brewing. Uh, go to their website, peakbrewing.com. It's all organic, and they, of course, bring out the best ingredients out there uh, all around New England. They know all their places where they get their hops and their barley. It's great stuff. Mike, what you think about uh, or Mike Bobby? What you think about Mike Reese's uh, time with us today? Well, if Mike wants to call back in and give his opinion on my questions, more than willing to hear that. But as far as for his answers, we knew he was going to be informative and give us good stuff, and indeed he delivered. Jeff, one of my takeaways from Mike's answers were the red flags he had surrounding Dominique Easley as he prepares to enter his second year because it was interesting to hear the concerns he has about easily being able to hold up physically inside on the interior of that defensive line. We know about the injury history. We'll see if he's going to be able to maintain that explosion if he needs to bulk up. Well, that's the big thing there that, uh, you know, everyone has kind of pointed out and Mike does a great job in pointing that stuff out, whether or not he can handle the interior line. He is a bit smaller uh, as a defensive tackle at six foot two and 288 pounds, roughly the same size as a former Patriot, uh, Hank Thomas, big old Henry Thomas, um, who was with the Patriots through 1999, if I remember correctly, the Pete Carroll years. Um, undersized defensive tackle, but was able to, uh, you know, split the uh, split the gaps and get in after the quarterback. I am actually, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I said it last year with our good friend Bob Stoden many times. I'm not as scared of ACL injuries. I know that, uh, of course, Easley has uh, two of them coming back from them, um, but we've seen uh, Rob Gronkowski last year, and we also see um, uh, Adrian Peterson, who, of course, ha- will be uh, reinstated by the NFL, so it'll be uh, pretty good. So uh, I'm not as uh, scared of the ACL injuries. I hope he's big enough and strong enough to uh, continue to do well and I think he will be, and he did some nice things uh, in the tape that I watched of him last year coming out of Florida against the Patriots center, Brian Stork, in the Florida-Florida State game. And, Jeff, he brought up one of your favorites. He brought up (laughs) FSU defensive tackle, Mr. Eddie Goldman. Sign that guy to a 10-year contract (laughs) right now. 
you know, it's certain things, and, uh, you know, you love certain players. Vince Wilfork was one of those players that you could absolutely love. Um, he really was. Uh, Vince, and I wish him nothing but the best of luck, um, you know, in Houston. Uh, he bookended his career with uh, Super Bowls to start and Super Bowls to finish with the New England Patriots. So um, I, I think Eddie Goldman, while he might not be exactly what Vince Wilfork was, uh, I think he could be a fair assembly to him. Um, I'm excited about Eddie Goldman, and I wouldn't be too surprised if the Patriots did trade up into the 20 to 21 area. As Mike was saying, uh, you know, if he doesn't really know where the draft will go because a guy could be off the board at 2021. And as we talked to Mike Loiko on our last podcast, you know, with nine picks uh, and not nine roster spots, the Patriots might be moving up. And uh, I could see a guy like Eddie Goldman being that guy that they select. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, and another thing that I want to bring bring up is uh, two of the guys that Mike uh, brought up, of course, Vince Wilfork and then uh, uh, Logan Mankins uh, when he was talking about uh, the plug-and-play guard, when he was talking about the last time the Patriots selected at 32, uh, where there were a lot of defensive players taken off the board and they went with a guy that they could just plug in and play. And, of course, uh, Logan Mankins uh, the, was a left tackle at Fresno State and moved right into left guard and played well there for uh, many years. It's kind of funny because uh, his uh, Patriots career was bookended by the Patriots winning the Super Bowl the year before he got there and then the year after he left. So kind of funny there. Yeah, bad timing for Logan. Now, another thing that we talked about at the top of the show was how the unpredictability of the draft, something that Mike discussed a lot, is one of those elements that makes the draft so exciting, so much fun, because you just don't know what's going to happen until it happens, or like we said at the beginning of the program, maybe thanks to Twitter and social media, you find out a couple minutes in advance, but certainly not the day before or any you know time frame like that. You really don't know until right around, I'll say, when it happens, which is why the draft is so fun and why you don't know and you won't know is New England going to trade up for a player. Are they going to trade to stockpile picks next year? Because like we've discussed with Mike Reese and previously Mike Loiko, Jeff, they have six picks in the first four rounds, nine picks overall, but not nine slots to fill. Yeah, we've talked about that ad nauseum now. Um, and the fact that they have six picks in the first four rounds, that's trading capital. Of course, uh, you know, the, the third round pick, they cannot trade uh, that they got in the compensatory. But, uh, you know, the Patriots will do all right with that. They'll, they'll, they'll select a player that can play. I have no doubt in that. Um, you know, Bobby, before we close the show up, I, I kind of want to, as we get closer to the draft, which is, uh, you know, less than two weeks away now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about positions that we think are of need. I'll, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I know everyone is concerned with linebacker depth, which is certainly valid, but it's not a high need on my board as far as being an early draft target, partially because of the position, but even more so because there figures to be a point in time where both Hightower and Mayo are healthy, as unpredictable as the NFL is when it comes to injuries. There figures to be a point where they're both back in the fold. So I don't know how early you want to spend on an inside linebacker, but the top of my board starts with the offensive line, which is a huge unknown. And even if they do bring back Dan Connolly, they need to add guard depth. We saw what happened when Josh Klein went in. They were 
able to get it done, but it was kind of, it was more in spite of him than because of him. And so I think guard is a high, high position of need, but it's another spot where you look at the Cam Irvings of the world in this draft, and they figure to be gone before the Patriots are on the clock at 32, and I don't see them trading up for that position. And that's why I think they're going to target one in the later rounds, which leads me to the interior of the defensive line and the cornerback spot. And for me, that's who it's been between all along for where this first round pick is going to go, how it's going to be spent. And it's going to be interesting to see what philosophy is chosen between we've talked about a cornerback. Is it going to be someone who's more suited to play zone like a Kevin Johnson or is it going to be a Marcus Peters who's more tailored to be a man-to-man cornerback and defensive line? Do they want the big boy in Eddie Goldman, or are they looking more for someone who can shoot the gaps? It will be interesting to see what they do there. And you're right. I like the big boy in Eddie Goldman, but I would not be upset at all if they got someone that could shoot the gap and make this an aggressive front four. We saw uh, what aggressive front four could do uh, in the um, – in the Super Bowl, of course, against the Patriots, uh, when you saw Bennett getting uh, up the field and, and absolutely eating up uh, Stork and Conley and Wendell at, at certain times, the Patriots really had to get the ball out in under three seconds. So uh, with the uncertainty at the cornerback position, um, it'll be interesting to see if the Patriots continue to uh, move on getting an aggressive front seven I don't feel like linebacker, as you said, is a need because they have guys that can stand up as as well. You know, uh, you have Mayo and Hightower, which you, of course, uh, alluded to. Um, you know, both of them are fighting back from injuries. Uh, Hightower said this week that he would take a, a a shoulder injury for Super Bowl ring anytime. I love that. Um, you know, and I f- figure he'll be back and ready to go by week one. Uh, Mayo's another concern. Uh, two years in a row, missing uh, missing ten games, only playing six. Um, I would expect at some point they're going to revisit his contract, um, especially when it comes time to start re-upping Jones and Hightower. But as I said, they have players that can stand up in Ninkovich, in Jabal Sheard, in Ch- uh, Chandler Jones, all end-of-the-line linebackers, defensive ends, pass rushers, that sort of thing, that can stand up and can also uh, drop into coverage. So I'm not as worried about linebacker depth because I believe in Bill Belichick's system that the defensive end, defensive uh, and defensive linebacker um, are, are kind of interchangeable uh, in that way. And we've seen Rob Nigovich also play uh, the middle linebacker role early in his career with the New England Patriots. Not hugely worried about uh, that, and I believe Jamie Collins could – uh, definitely step up into a middle linebacker role and move all over the place. Uh, they also, of course, have uh, James Morris uh, out of Iowa, undrafted free agent uh, last year, who is uh, still on this uh, team, uh, injured last year, but the Patriots will bring him back. Uh, looking forward to that. Jeff, another position that's going to be interesting to see what they do, if they do anything, in fact, is one of your favorite spots, the running back position. Is Melvin Gordon going to be available? Would they even consider taking him? Do they want someone like an Abdullah from Nebraska who could fill, help fill the void from the Shane Vereen departure? It's going to be interesting to see what they think of their current stable of running backs. Well, yeah, that was one of the things that was brought up. And, uh, you know, I really would love to see Melvin Gordon here. We talked about that. 
Um, you know, and, and early in the podcast, and I, I love the idea. Uh, even if you got to grab him in the first round, I love the idea. Uh, Abdullah, of course, as I said last uh, last week, that I'm a, a Cornhuskers fan. I like his ability to catch the ball. Uh, as Mike Loiko did uh, come out and say, though, as uh, he's a la- uh, liability in uh, pass protection, so that could be something to, to watch uh, watch for there. It's been told that it is a very deep uh, running back class. We'll see exactly what the New England Patriots decide to do. I would guarantee I put my house up on it that at one point in this draft, they do select a running back um, because I think the stable's kind of empty right now. I understand that you have great players, and I love LeGarrette Blount. Um, we talked earlier about Jonas Gray and how I kind of see him as uh, leaning more towards a one-game wonder than an every-down back. We don't know where Tyler Gaffney's going to be. James White, um, you know, he was kind of a no-show in his rookie year. He could very easily fill that Shane Vereen role, has a lot of the same uh, skill set. Um, and, and then, of course, Brandon Bolden, who uh, to me is great on special teams, but he's not a guy I want to see tote the rock 15 to 20 times. Yeah, and I think outside of LeGarrette Blount, who at this point in his career, he is what he is, there's a lot of unproven, a lot of unknown commodities on this team. They got Travaris Cadet on the cheap, a player who's around 25 years old and has a lot of upside, but we'll see how much of that he achieves. James White is just stepping into this role. He was almost non-existent last season. They've got Tyler Gaffney, who they claimed last offseason, who's coming back from an injury. We'll see what he brings to the table. It's going to be very interesting to see what this group is able to do next year. And like you said, Jonas Gray, we just don't know. Was he a one-hit wonder, as you tend to lean? Or could he genuinely progress and develop into more of a threat to take reps away from LeGarrette Blount. We'll find out. Exactly. And the other guy that I actually like uh, is coming out of Alabama. And, of course, uh, Bill Belichick has his ties with Nick Saban, and that's T.J. Yeldon. Um, you know, he's six foot one, 226 pounds. He's a bigger back. Still runs pretty well. I mean, he ran a, at his pro day, ran a 4.52 and a 4.53. Uh, respectable at the combine uh, bench press 22 reps at 225 uh, he's played in a pro system I, I would not be upset if the Patriots went out and grabbed him you just kind of hope that he becomes more of the Eddie Lacy running back coming out of Alabama and, and less of the Trent Richardson yeah TJ Yeldon is a player to me who is a winner I'm just very impressed with how he conducts himself on the field I haven't watched a lot of tape of him, but I've seen him play live a lot. You know, Alabama's on TV all the time, of course, and usually their games are worth watching. And so TJ Yeldon, to me, is a player who has been in the national spotlight for a while and has shown you that he can come out of the backfield. He's also very effective at making players miss when he gets the ball. He's a guy that I really do like as a later round pick. I like it, too. Let's... Move on to one final position uh, before we get uh, closing out tonight's uh, tonight's podcast is the wide receiver position. It always seems to uh, strike huge things around New England. Um, you know, they, they've won Super Bowls when people don't catch 100 passes. Uh, 2001, 2003, 2004, and 2014. They won all those Super Bowls without a 100-catch pass receiver. Uh, they went to two Super Bowls with 
Wes Welker catching uh, 112 passes and 123, if I remember, respectively. And that deep threat, Randy Moss, in 2007. But for some reason, Patriots fans want that deep threat. They want that guy that can take the cover off the ball. Um, And I, I look at it as the fantasy football geeks in all of us taking over and and we want to see those big rolling numbers your thoughts on what the Patriots can should and would do at the wide receiver position well first off I just want to point out that Julian Edelman had 92 catches last year and he sat the last game of the season against Buffalo because it was meaningless so he probably would have been able to get to 100 oh yeah he would yeah so they they didn't officially have a 100 uh, catch receiver last year but they kind of did in Julian Edelman it was more a case that he sat the last game also the last two actually that's correct and also um, I think that fans are infatuated with stars it uh, it goes for every sport and wide receiver in football is a star position so it's understandable that fans clamor for you know Larry Fitzgerald has Patriots fans have wanted him. It feels like since he was drafted. Andre Johnson is another one whose name has come up recently around these parts. And the reality is you don't need that type of player in Bill Belichick's offense. Now, I would also say that the team could use a vertical threat to help stretch the field. And there's also the fact that while they have good depth at slot receiver, they are a bit shallow behind Brandon LaFell, it's really a case of what are you going to get from Aaron Dobson? How much is Brian Timms going to progress? What are they going to get out of Gibson, who they signed this offseason from Miami? So it's going to be interesting to see what that collection of players does and what kind of quality depth they can provide behind JoJo LaFell. Exactly. And I might be the last person in New England still on the Aaron Dobson train. I, I Liked what I saw out of him his rookie year until uh, he injured that foot uh, last year. It boggled my mind why they took him off the pup list. Um, I think it was August 11th when they took him off the pup list last year uh, when Brandon LaFell was already entrenched in that in that spot uh, as the you know number two, number three wide receiver, the outside wide receiver. It boggled my mind why they took him off the pup list. Um, especially when he had late uh, uh, surgery to uh, to remove some bone spurs in his heel, if I remember exactly correctly, but I might be lying to you all right there. I am still a, a, an Aaron Dobson fan. The fact that he's working out at the Athletics and uh, Performance Group out in Arizona, um, you know, that makes me happy. I think the kid's taking this seriously this year. He knows that the third year for wide receivers is huge. He needs to have a very, very good season um, if he's to stick with this team, or, or he's a he's a cut, uh, you know, week three, week four of the of the preseason. Uh, if I'm looking at someone in the NFL draft uh, that piques my fancy, um, it's actually Oklahoma's wide receiver uh, Dorelli uh, Green Beckham. Oh man, six foot five, two hundred thirty-seven pounds, ran a four forty-nine forty. Give me that all day long, you know, just toss it up. Otherwise, Patrick Chankow would say Brady's like one for three billion uh, in passes over 20 yards. Yeah, and Doyle Green Beckham would be an absolute stud, but my head might explode if the Patriots traded up to get him 
because there's just there's no chance. I know we talked about the unpredictability of the draft a lot on tonight's program, but I'm willing to say there's zero percent chance that he's available when the Patriots are on the clock. They'd have to trade up to get him, and they'd have to trade up high to get him, which I can't see happening. But it certainly would be exciting, if not a head scratcher. A player that I look at later on in the draft is Sammy Coates from Auburn. 6'1", 213, has good size, and he's a very effective vertical threat. He's very good at going up and high-pointing the football. He's got good size and strength combination. He's a player that I like a lot. It's going to be interesting to see where in the draft he goes. He's highly unlikely to be a first-round pick, but that doesn't mean that that second, third round, he could hear his name called, and it's going to be interesting to hear if it's the Patriots who are picking him. Well, we'll find out uh, in two short weeks who the Patriots will select. Round one, round two, and three on Friday night, and then, of course, rounds four, five, and six, and seven on Saturday to end the NFL draft. Uh, it's when the team building process begins and ends is, is, you know, as it starts, as it goes, the NFL draft is huge, but don't forget there was an undrafted free agent last year who made the biggest play in Super Bowl history. At least I think it's the biggest play in Super Bowl history. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Uh, Bobby, until next week, uh, you'll be hearing more from the CLNS radio and the Patriots beat podcast. Uh, Don't forget to check out our great website, clnsradio.com. Uh, where you can find all of our talented beat writers uh, as we talk more about the New England Patriots. And a shout-out here to uh, Celtics uh, Nation and the fact that the uh, Boston Celtics have made the playoffs. They're going up against LeBron James and, uh, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers in round one. Great, great season uh, for Brad Stevens. Uh, This team's exciting to watch. I love the fact that they've made the playoffs and, and the fact that they're going to be getting some experience here um, in the playoffs under Brad Stevens. I just love it. Don't forget to stay with Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and, of course, the Celtics postgame show, which will be live following every single Celtics playoff games. And, you know, I don't think we'll see a long run, but I wouldn't be surprised if they push this five or six games against Cleveland. Yeah, it figures to be short-lived, but like you said, they make it exciting. They make games interesting, and they figure to push Cleveland to the limits. The Cavs are going to have to earn these wins, something they figure to do. But the Celtics are really going to test Cleveland, and it's going to be fun to watch. It is going to be fun to watch, and they'll be the sole place in town uh, looking, of course, for uh, playoffs because the Bruins uh, failed to make it. I'm a little upset about that. I was looking forward to doing Bruins postgame playoffs again this year, but unfortunately the Bruins fell short. Uh, Peter Shirelli has got the axe, and uh, baseball season has just started. So keep it with CLNS Radio for all four major sports uh, in the uh, Boston area, as well as uh, great NASCAR talk, college football, whenever you can take it, and, uh, you know, whatever it is right there. But uh, CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Until next week, I'm Jeff Kane for Bobby Kravitsky. This has been another Patriots.
Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.